Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... Just when I think you've said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking... Michael Preston. I assume most of you are thinking as Hank Hill does on a weekly basis, though you do choose to listen to this show, unlike many sports talk shows where you just are kind of flipping through the dial and you're like, yeah, I'll listen to that in my car. You actually have to like go to the website and willingly click on this. So there's pretty much no excuse if anything I say is too dumb and you're not happy with it. And you're still listening to it week by week by week by week when in fact you could choose us not to do it at all. Enough of that existential discussion. Welcome to the Coog Center Hour on a game week. Game week, game week, game week. College football was back last weekend, but for the vast majority of everybody else, it is in fact back this week. Thursday we got football games, Friday we got football games, and Saturday we got a bevy of football games. And Sunday, you get the rare Sunday football games too, because it's the one week of the season where there's no NFL so you get some Sunday football games. It's kind of like when the NFL does Saturday games late in the year. I really love those <clears throat> late season Saturday games in the NFL. Those are a ton of fun. But we are finally in a game week for Washington State University taking on Eastern Washington, 14th ranked in the FCS, Eastern Washington on Saturday in Pullman with some decidedly better weather. At least the preliminary forecast is for like mid-60s, maybe a small chance of rain. We're not talking like in the 40s and downpour like we were last Labor Day weekend when they played Portland State but I'm 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 just happy that football is back we've talked all offseason about expectations for this football team and about what they should do this year with so much returning talent and what the defense can do and what Gabe Marks can do and Luke Falk can do and James Williams Gerard Wicks Jamal Morrow Robert Barber, Daniel Equale, Peyton Pallour, Marcellus Pippins, Darian Moulton, Treshawn Broughton, and a whole bevy of other players I'm forgetting and not mentioning at this point. All we've heard about is potential at this point, and now the rubber's got to meet the road. And against a pretty decent opponent to open the season, as you'll find out this week as we preview them more on the Coog Center, or not the Coog Center, but on Coog Center, that it's it's at least a team I think you need to be not not really worried about, but you know, they they played Oregon pretty tough for a while last year, and they have a penchant for beating FBS teams, and I think it's a pretty decent test to open the season for WSU. And in fact, I don't even think it's their hardest non-conference, or I don't even think it's their easiest non-conference game. I think that distinction goes to Idaho. I think Idaho's a worse team than EWU. But we finally get football back, and the rubber finally meets the road on these expectations for WSU, or it needs to anyway. We finally get to stop talking about things and see what happens in a season loaded with expectations because of what happened last year. Because of where we think this team is going from that incredible season when they beat Miami in the Sun Bowl. It is, I've said this before, it is very weird to feel this way. It's incredibly odd to have that feeling of expectations of greatness from a football team that I I have admitted before and will admit again, I only really truly started following once I got to school in 2006. My Cougar fandom history is not as long as others. But I I can at least still understand that this is the most talented team arguably you have had since 2003. I could probably throw a bone at the 2016, but that collapse at the end of the year probably does away with any other, you know, any consideration of that team coming close to this one in terms of talent. You have a redshirt junior quarterback who could just shatter and put records out of reach this year. You have a redshirt senior wide receiver who probably could have declared for the NFL draft and gotten drafted last year, but decided there was some unfinished business here at WSU. You have an incredible stable of running backs and a stable so full they had to move the most athletic one back to receiver. You have a deep secondary for the first time in as long as I can remember, and you still have some talent at other positions on the defense. This team is as well stocked as it has come 
in the last more than a decade. We have not had a football team as stacked as this one. Couldn't say that in 2014 when they were coming off that New Mexico Bowl appearance. Couldn't say that last year. But we can finally say it now because they've built a little bit of depth. They have some talent everywhere. And things, for the first time in a long time, look pretty damn good. It's a pretty damn good time to be a WSU fan. We haven't been able to say that often in the last decade or so. But we can finally say it again. And we're hopefully going to get a taste of reaching the peak here this Saturday against Eastern Washington when hopefully, as the coaches have said, they expect this offense to come out firing and I I really hope they don't take it conservatively. I really hope they don't. I'm going to get out of your way sooner than usual this week because we have two really good interviews. We're going to talk to JB Long of the Pac-12 Networks next. He's calling the game on Saturday and we're also going to talk to our own Jeff Neusser after that, then our Dunderhead of the Week and Ask Michael Anything here on the Kook Center Hour. Back here on the Coog Center Hour, we're going to talk to Jeff Neusser, our own Jeff Neusser here in a little bit, uh, more about football. It's kind of all football all the time right now on the Coog Center Hour, and it's all football all the time with our guest right now, the man who's calling the game for the Pac-12 Network on Saturday against Eastern Washington, Mr. J.B. Long. And the first thing we need to tell or say to J.B. is a big congratulations. You are now the voice of of the Los Angeles Rams, and I have, I keep forgetting, I have to call them the Los Angeles Rams now again. You are the voice of the Los Angeles Rams on radio, and that is supremely cool and well-deserved, sir, so congratulations. Wait, what? Are you serious? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah even a month in, it still hasn't really sunk in. So uh, thank you for that. It's an incredible, incredible blessing to be able to call NFL games and to do so. Uh, in my home state of California, it's just uh, been a, a total thrill, one I could have never dreamed of. Um, but the beauty of it is I still get to do college football on Saturdays. And uh, you know me, having spoken to me, I have a, a deep, deep passion for the Pac-12 and for college football. And I never, ever want to let Saturdays go because as great as the NFL is, Michael, there's just something about college football and there's something about places like Pullman. So we- uh, I know not, I know not everyone gets fired up to come to Pullman, but uh, shame on them. It's their loss because, especially for college football weekends, it's one of my favorite places to be. I can't wait to come back. You're you uh, you have constantly been one of the biggest lobbyists for Pullman, and we'll t- uh, we'll talk about that oh, for a oh. second because you love it's Sangria and Moscow is your favorite place, right? You will you you lobby for that hard on the food, and you are a big food guy, so you like food when you come to Pullman, don't you? Oh, you've got you got a good memory. Yeah, Sangria is yeah. one of my favorites. The uh, the Lomo Saltado there, you would not expect Peruvian food in, in Moscow Pullman, but uh, it rocks. It's one of my favorite stops. Uh, we've got a reservation for Black Cypress this oh, Friday night yeah. for our TV crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think South South Fork is another mm-hmm. uh, personal favorite. Uh, just a little sports bar fare. I enjoy that a lot. So yes, um, I'm I, now full disclosure. There have been some nights and months in recent years where I might have a basketball assignment in January or February in Pullman and just, you know, given where the program has been on the hoop side, those not, have not necessarily been the most thrilling trips. <laughs> however, however, I do love Pullman. Um, I love playing Palouse Ridge when the weather permits, so mm-hmm. I, I never I never bat an eye at a trip to uh, the Palouse by way of Spokane. I'm excited about this weekend and Excited about coming back for week three against Idaho, presuming the Cougs win. Uh, because, Michael, as you know, I was on the call for week one last year. Yeah. And I'm sure that's something you would 
either want to discuss or prefer we ignore completely. I'll leave it up to you. We can get to that in a little bit. Because uh, it is it is kind of part of the conversation. It is something we do need to talk about uh, when it comes to playing Eastern Washington. We will start, though... I kind of want your perspective, JB, on last season for WSU because you're a guy who obviously follows the Pac-12 very closely and you keep such a sharp eye on it. I've kind of equated it last season for WSU. It was this season with the two moldiest pieces of bread, the regular season anyway, the two moldiest pieces of bread and a piece of filet mignon right in between them. Is that kind of <laughs> is that is that kind of what the sense that you get from last year when it comes to Washington State football? I mean, what more do I need to say? Can I just have your permission to use that description <laughs> when we start our broadcast? You on can, Saturday? you can, you can, uh, as long as you're looking at the camera and you wink and point. Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to do that because it's so true. I mean, when I left. On that first Saturday of September, which felt like the first Saturday of November, if Mm -hmm. those who were there will remember the weather, if you had told me that Washington State would post a winning season much less than 9-4, 6-3 in conference with a postseason victory out of that, especially with, you know, I didn't know at the time how severe Luke Falk's injury was going to be, right? Right. Right. I mean, I might have fallen down and fainted. I really would have. So you're right. It, you know, Apple Cup, Portland State, I get it. Uh, not exactly the best bread to be making this sandwich with. But uh, if you want to go carb-free, uh, that was a heck of a season, right? <laughs> I'm never interested in carb-free, just for the record. I, I enjoy my carbohydrates too much. Um, no, I'm with you. I, I definitely would prefer some uh, some sourdough or some Dutch crunch on the end of uh, this year's season for the Cougs. How the heck do we always end up talking about food? Um, <laughs> the I, I think you were talking about Luke Falk a little bit there, and again, you, you know, a guy who I think at the beginning of the season struggled a little bit, and as the season progressed outside of the Apple Cup, which he obviously missed, and most of the Colorado game, which he also or uh, part of the Colorado game, which he also missed. Um, you saw a quarterback evolve to the point where against UCLA in Pasadena, less than a minute and 15 seconds to go, you gave him too much time to come back in that game. When you look around the conference, I mean, you know there are really good quarterbacks like Josh Rosen. I know we had a few that graduated this year as well, but is there a quarterback like Luke Falk anywhere else in the Pac-12? I mean, I know I can tell myself that, but it's sometimes... Good to hear that from other people if they think that as well. Yeah, I was actually, uh, as a jumping off point, because there's a lot to talk about here, uh, I was reading, I think the Seattle PI had like kind of a roundtable discussion about the Huskies and Cougars, and one of the questions was, would you rather have Jake Brown or Luke Falk? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, a nice, it's a nice problem to have if indeed you were choosing, but I, I think right now you would have to go Luke Falk just based on his body of work. I mean, the guy is seemingly unflappable. He was thrown into the fire, did not blink, replacing Connor Halliday, right? And really Mm -hmm. hasn't been. Um, He gets hit more than any quarterback in the Pac-12 last season. I think he led the league in sacks, which I understand is a function of how many dropbacks he takes because he plays in the air raid. But, you know, that I think there's always the risk that that makes the quarterback gun-shy. I've never seen that from Luke, uh, including in in the UCLA game. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you also rightly point out, didn't you hint at like the game-winning drives? I mean, here's a guy who now in parts of two seasons has orchestrated uh, five, I think, come-from-behind game-winning drives. Mm-hmm. So he's just a really interesting cat. I hope everyone got a chance to read uh, the Campus Rush article about him and his uh, essential oils, how he, how he likes to sniff frankincense before every drive. Yeah, that's a little... All these uh, really interesting yeah. things about Luke that, you know, I think we, we knew... Those of us who follow Pac-12 and follow the Cougs knew uh, his recruiting story and how he kind of went from Utah to Southern California and didn't work out and why he's why he started as a walk-on. But you know, more and more of these layers of the onion are being peeled back uh, about Luke. And so, yeah, Rosen is great. Rosen's probably the best pro prospect in the conference. But as always with Washington State under Mike Leach, I think the conversation is a bit unique in that is is there a quarterback better suited to do what Leach wants to do and yeah. as was the case with Holiday, I think the is true of Falk the answer is no there's another guy uh who plays for WSUJB that I uh, you, you kind of get the sense that he's just kind of this 
otherworldly, you know, talent, and that's Gabe Marks, a guy who, you know, initially coming in under Mike Leach, you know, he looked like a pretty special receiver, redshirted one season after dealing with an injury and getting in a little bit of trouble uh, legally uh, here in Pullman, but since then has almost kind of morphed into a mini Mike Leach uh, in his interviews because the dude coughs about as much as Mike Leach does through an interview. But he's, he's just... I have read that. <laughs> yeah, he just he's turned into this incredible receiver that it, it seems like double coverage can't stop this guy, triple coverage can't stop this guy. With another guy like Juju Smith-Schuster uh, at USC in the conference, I think, again, you're, you're finding a guy to skill position for Wazoo who is amongst uh, the best of his peers uh, in a conference that's really loaded at that position. Yeah, a couple of number nines, right? Yep. It's good to have a number nine in your receiving core this year in the Pac-12. Uh, I was at uh, Media Days, I guess it was a month ago now, uh, and Gabe Marks was one of the Washington State representatives. And the way they set that up is they had the head coach kind of way up in the front of the room and then two players in the back corners. And I gravitated towards Gabe right away, and I was still there 20 minutes later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just can listen to this young man talk uh, seemingly about anything articulately and with a unique vantage point. I mean, to use a contemporary sports hot take topic, and I don't mean this tongue-in-cheek, I would be curious to hear what Gabe Marks has to say about Colin Kaepernick and choosing not to stand for the national anthem and salute the flag. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't mean that to be a hot-button thing, and I don't, I don't say that frivolously. I just think that he's the kind of person who, at 21, probably going on 22 years of age, has a really unique vantage point on a lot of things NCAA and college athletics and society at large and growing mm-hmm. up in Southern California just uh, is, is very intriguing to me, aside from football. Now, as for his football, All-American candidate, uh, Bolitnikoff candidate, no doubt. I mean, uh, maybe yeah. the best Twitter handle in the Pac-12, throw it up to nine. Yep. I totally dig that. Uh, something came across, and I apologize for not knowing who pushed this onto my desk, but I did write it down. Uh, Pro Football Focus College had an interesting nugget about how good he is on deep balls, that he caught all 15 of what they termed catchable targets measuring 20 or more yards last season, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was kind of cool. That, uh, you know, when, when Washington State and when the air raid goes vertical, he's your guy, and he doesn't drop many. And uh, so, yeah, Juju, uh, a lot of great receivers across the league, but Gabe Marks is the one who... I think is going to end up on a lot of uh, semifinalist, finalist lists when they, we get to award season. Yeah, that was a guy who uh, last year before the Apple Cup, when he didn't make it on the Bolitnikov finalist list, was just very quietly retweeting people who weren't talking about him and were talking about the list. And you get the sense that he's a kid who gets angry and and is uh, and not necessarily you know might take it a little personally, even though he tells you he doesn't. And you know, really. He looks at that and goes, "Well, you didn't, you didn't pick me, so I'm going to get a little angry now mm-hmm. and uh, and make you pay for it." That's 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 kind of what I'm going to do here. Yeah, and his career arc is compelling because, if I'm not mistaken, he was the first what you would term big time recruit to sign with right. Washington State under Mike Leach, mm-hmm. uh, and then had the uh, what was called the sabbatical year, right, in 2014, yeah. and and he kind of came off of that with a hard edge. I don't know if it was if it was anger or frustration or maybe just simple maturity or uh, sensing his uh, collegiate mortality, Mm -hmm. uh, I think he's definitely going to have a chance to play at the next level, no question. But I'm thrilled to see what kind of numbers he and Falk put up in 2016 before he's done on the Palouse. I want to get a little bit more of your perspective, JB, on uh, the defense uh, for WSU last year because I think you know it, it took over a month for Mike Leach to hire Alex Grinch after uh, after the season, and he let go of his previous defensive coordinator. And, you know, you're, you're hiring a guy who has no defensive coordinating experience in a season that might kind of be make or break for you. And you know you can't stick with Mike Bresky there, but, you know, hiring a guy with no previous experience is kind of scary, but, boy, did it pay off in a big, big way. Did anybody really see that? that much of an improvement coming from the WSU defense prior to last season, or was that a big surprise to kind of everybody else in the conference? Well, I'll say this. We kind of work in an industry that's afraid of setting statistical benchmarks and goals, Mm -hmm. but defensive football, I think, is something that's kind of driven by those 
stated goals. And I know Washington State's last year was to create two takeaways per game. And I think maybe part of the reason Alex was hired and definitely the reason he succeeded in year one is because I think he discovered that winning at Washington State requires a different way of thinking defensively because of what you have offensively. And and outscoring teams is a real dynamic. And an extra you know, half a possession or possession per game over the course of the season is the difference between going to a bowl and winning it or not. Mm-hmm. And so he set out that stated goal, as I recall, two takeaways per game, and they landed on 24, which is almost you know exactly where they had hoped to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and no surprise, they win three times as many games, and they improve by double digits in points per game. So uh, I think the, the what he did that was fascinating to me from the moment he announced it and proved to be really prescient on his part is to go with this 3-4 kind of nickelback scheme. Mm-hmm. And he saw the personnel, which you know we've seen go from absolutely depleted and devastated when Leach took over to now a position where, I mean, you might argue that the secondary at Washington State is not just the deepest unit on the team, it might be one of the best in the Pac-12. And if you and I had uttered that sentence back in, I don't know, 2012, 13, maybe even 2014. Oh, God, yeah. No. We, people would have looked at us like we were from outer space. No. But, and, and, also, and I know we're, we'll talk about the running back group later, I'm yeah. sure, but that's another one where to think that where we are currently in the Pac-12 and in the Pac-12 North is that Washington State might have the most competitive running back core and the deepest secondary in the North, maybe even the entire conference, is mm-hmm. flabbergasting. Absolutely flabbergasting. Well, you talk about the running backs, too, because I think it's not something that a lot of people think about. You know, you obviously don't associate a heavy passing offense with needing to have good running backs, but that's something that Mike Leach did have at Texas Tech. They had 1,000-yard rushers on those teams, and now WSU is finally to the point where they have this, you know, Washington obviously has Miles Gaskin, Oregon has Royce Freeman, but I think... After the drop-off after those guys is more severe than what you see at WSU, who really has three different guys in Gerard Wicks, Jamal Morrow, and James Williams, who people have never seen before, that you, you just get this such interesting mix of three running backs that at any one time these guys give you something different out on the field that you don't really have available from another running back core in the conference. Well, yeah, I don't need to preach this to you or your audience because I think they understand it, but we all kind of guard against the run game criticism of Mike Leach in Washington State, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, if you've read his book or if you followed his career from Texas Tech to Washington State, you know that you know those down-the-line receiver screens, uh, you know, the, the little pitch handoff, those, you know, those all maybe go down as pass attempts, but those are part of his running game, and he doesn't look for balance between rush and pass. He looks for balance between are we hitting all four quadrants of the field? Are we stretching and putting stress on defenses horizontally and vertically? Right. That being said, I think I think philosophically, I don't know if he bent a little bit or if this is just a product of good recruiting and playing to strengths. It's also a product of Connor Halliday not really willing to being will excuse me, not really being willing to check to a run mm-hmm. as often as Luke Falk is. But now here we're in a situation where Washington State returns earth, wind, and fire, and they decide that they've got so much talent there that they can send Keith Harrington back to the receiving group and make room for James Williams, who as a redshirt freshman might be eventually by the end of the season the best option that they have over the top of three returning tailbacks. Uh, That says a lot, and I think opposing defenses in the Pac-12 much preferred the days when all they had to do was prepare to defend, you know, some verticals against Connor Halliday as mm-hmm. opposed to this more multifaceted attack where, you know, you mentioned some of the big backs, including Royce Freeman in the Pac-12. I don't think a Washington State running back is going to be regarded in that manner anytime in the near future because, one, they have the depth and kind of the uh, balance of talent and also because they, they do some things differently in different situations, right? Wicks mm-hmm. is going to be your guy when you need a yard. Jamal's your all-purpose guy who can, you know, catch it out of the backfield. And and James, who knows? I mean, I'm not sure there's a player I'm more excited to see because of what I've heard about him through 18 months now uh, than James Williams. So mm-hmm. uh, they're not going to have, like, an alpha dog lead back, you know, 25 carries a game kind of guy. That's just not who they are offensively. And so it'll be tough for Wicks or Morrow or Williams to be put in that 
Royce Freeman classification. Do you think it's fair to worry, uh, going back to the defense here, do you think it's fair to worry a little bit uh, if you're a WSU fan? Because I, I think the one the one thing I've really been worried about uh, in 2016, nothing offensively, you get virtually everybody back there and even some capable guys to replace the offensive linemen. You do lose, and you, you lose Dom Williams, but Tavares Martin, C.J. Dimry, Desmond Patman are all there to replace Dom Williams' production. The defensive line, linebackers, you lose a lot of talent at those positions. Destiny Viao, Jerome Allison, Kache Palacio, all these guys are gone. And WSU is precariously thin at those positions. Do you think it's fair that we're uh, that I'm a little overly worried uh, about what's going on up front, even though you do get Daniel Aquale, Robert Barber back? It's just a little, little worrying about what's going on up front there. Well, those two guys you mentioned, Barber and Equality, are going to have to have big, healthy seasons, no question. And this is the most familiar refrain among Cougar doubters that I've heard this, what we, I would call a prediction or preview season, you know, this summer. Um, I think it's I think it's a legitimate concern. And, and I'm trying to, Michael, decide whether or not it's a good thing that you catch Oregon at Stanford UCLA up front. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially consecutively as opposed to late October, November. Um, You can look at it two ways, right? Either if you, you know, if you have to face them right away, I guess there's a chance that you're more fresh and maybe more healthy and more likely to combat those kind of downhill running attacks. Or there's a thought where if you're trying to develop maybe that second line of depth, uh, that's a little bit too early on your schedule. Those pieces, those names we may not even know yet. Mm-hmm. aren't going to be ready to face the Royce Freemans and the Christian McCaffreys quite yet. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. No, I think if there is a soft spot, that's the one. I have a lot of respect for the guys that they lost. Um, you know, McLennan, every time I did a Washington State game, it seemed like the Shea Palacio made a big play. Allison, you know, brought veteran leadership and experience. I'm sure he was instrumental in getting guys in the right places. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, Paulo and, and Laya, in addition just to having some awesome, awesome Pac-12 defensive names, uh, were stalwarts, <laughs> were, were, were uh, long-time coups. And, yeah, if the front, if there is an Achilles heel, it wouldn't surprise me if it's the front seven of this defense. Yeah. But uh, let's see Alex Grinch covered up. Let's see what he can do to find a way around it. Calling the game on a Saturday against Eastern Washington, and I know you've gotten to talk to uh, Bo Baldwin, the coaching staff there. Uh, they have a guy in Cooper Cup that I I think any team in the country uh, would want to have at yeah. wide receiver. And in fact, if there's a receiver better than Gabe Marks uh, west of the Mississippi, it's probably Cooper Cup, and he still might be the best-kept secret in college football just in your research for this game, how crazy good uh, is this guy? Because I, I can look at his stats, and I said yesterday on Twitter uh, that those numbers barely hold up in a video game, let alone real life, for that being something a receiver is actually doing on a football field. Yeah, I mean, he's probably the only guy on the uh, the, the non-conference FCS schedule that you don't have to research, at least in my world, because he's mm-hmm. a household name given what he's done to Pac-12 teams. Uh, our conference will not shed a tear when Cooper Cup finishes Saturday's game and will never see another Pac-12 team. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm tr- you know, I've, I've read about why Cup decided to come back for a fifth-year uh, senior season. I'm From an outsider standpoint, I'm not sure why he did. Yeah. Mean, statistically, there's, there's nothing left to prove it's not like he's going to get any faster or stronger I mean he's physically mature and uh, I think he was ready for professional football there was something that he was not getting I guess from his draft evaluation that uh, made him decide you know what I'd rather take a run at being you know a consensus FCS All-American and maybe the the best receiver that's ever played at this level he's already won the Walter Payton Award you know the, the FCS Heisman so I'm not sure what he had to prove or what was kind of still left on the bone for him and Cheney, but he wanted to do it, and good on him. Uh, he's going to be all the Cougs want and more. He, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see how Washington State defends him. I, I, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, is it Darian, Darian Moulton, or, um, or is it Broughton, or 
you know, who gets time on him I, or, or what combinations get time. Robert Taylor, I know, is kind of bouncing between corner and safety mm-hmm. with Shalom's incident. So uh, if, if there is some shakeup or if there is some instability as a result of Luani's off-field stuff, uh, the last thing you want to see is Cooper Cup coming to town. The, the only thing I've thought of so far is literally just knocking him over at the line of scrimmage and hoping that the referees miss it every time. That, that's I'm not, I'm not a I'm not a football coach, but that's the only thing I can think of at this point with Cooper Cup and how you handle him. Uh, you got talked to uh, Baldwin again, like we said. Uh, they were trying to decide on a quarterback, and they did settle on Gabe Gabrud. If I'm saying his name correctly, I think that's how we say it. Um, they settled on him. He was the presumed guy to get the job, but uh, he had a really good scrimmage passing and running the football, something WSU's defense had trouble handling last year. Uh, I know, are the coaches pretty confident in that decision? I think they've also said that all three quarterbacks might get a little run on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I'm just reading tea leaves like you are, and I would assume that Cabrud is the guy. Mm -hmm. But Riley Hennessy and Jordan West, at least according to the company line, they're going to play, and they think they can win with them, and they each give the Eagles offense a little bit something different in terms of competitive advantage. This is like a nightmare scenario, probably for your uh, your opener. Right, is not knowing who's going to be a quarterback and having to prepare for multiple guys. Right, but I, I doubt it'll phase Coach Grinch in Washington State. It's probably a, an instance where you kind of do the best you and focus on being the best you, and and what happens happens. But uh, to go back to kind of our previous question, our previous point, here's how I would determine my quarterback competition if I was Bo Baldwin. Who can get number 10 the ball the most accurately, often, frequently, you name it? Mm-hmm. Which one of you is going to get it to Cooper Cup the best? And we'll go from there. Because, yeah. uh, you know, that's going to dictate our success. But, um, you know, what they like about Gage is he gives them the running ability. They give them a little bit more of the uh, kind of Vernon Adams uh, read option type game. So I think that's why if I had to handicap the quarterback chances, that's probably why they will start with him. But it wouldn't surprise me to see Hennessy and or West at some point on Saturday. We talked about it at the beginning, uh, JB. You were in Pullman uh, last September when Portland State pretty much came out of nowhere uh, and beat Washington State. I mean, there was just no indication that that football team was going to be good enough to beat an FBS team last year uh, and coming off like a 2-10 and season. But Eastern Washington has a penchant for beating FBS teams. They've beaten Oregon State before in the rank number 14 in the FCS. This team should not jump up and surprise Washington State in terms of how good they can be. And in fact, WSU only beat them by three points in Mike Leach's first year in Pullman. Uh, Am I right to be a little bit more scared of this team than Idaho uh, at this point and think that this might be a, their second most difficult test in the non-conference season, whereas an FCS team is normally your your cupcake game? Yeah, I think for all the reasons you mentioned, everyone involved with Washington State uh, football can, should, will have a healthy dose of fear and respect for the Eagles. And hopefully that'll serve them well this weekend because uh, I'm still trying to figure out from 10 nothing at halftime you know how that one got away from them in the opener last year. I'm sure they are too, but um, I'm glad that it turned into, uh, you know, kind of the start of something special for Washington state last year. I'm sure they'd rather not have to dig themselves out of that hole this year. And you're right. I mean, word is out about Eastern Washington, not just, you know, West of the Mississippi, but in the PAC 12, especially uh, they've given UW a couple good games, Oregon state, they beat, you know, Oregon, they played well last year. So, mm-hmm. um, no, this is this is going to be a trendy upset alert pick across college football. You might even see it on game day on Saturday morning. But it's always nice when you can see the upset alert coming a year in advance and definitely a month in advance and definitely this week in advance. I don't think there's anyone on the Cougars roster who's thinking that this is an, a scheduled pay for victory against an FCS team. The only man who might have a bigger appreciation for Pullman's food than I do, Mr. J.B. Long, <laughs> calling the game on Saturday. Thank you for stopping by, sir. We appreciate it. Yeah, I always enjoy it. And should Washington State get a victory, I will be back in week three against Idaho. If not, I'm sure that I will need to 
excuse myself, but happy to do it again in a couple of weeks if you want to talk uh, oh, yeah. Idaho and Washington. State. We won't object too much, and if, if they do win, you're welcome. You're welcome at the tailgate for some Bloody Marys after you're done calling the game. I know your bosses probably wouldn't be too happy with alcohol prior to the game. <laughs> uh, Michael, that's that's awesome. I appreciate all that you and your team do. It's uh, I think I said this last year, but I I refer to you guys for the the heartbeat of the Cougs, and uh, I'm a devoted reader, and uh, appreciate every opportunity to talk Pac-12 and Cougar football with you. Thanks again, big guy. Adios. Back here on the Kook Center Hour, thanks again to Mr. J.B. Long for joining us. And hopefully the curse of him joining before the first game of the season is lifted this year, though I don't think we talked about Eastern Washington in quite the same terms we talked about Portland State. We turn now to uh, the godfather of the website. I, I called Brian Anderson like the godfather of quarterback knowledge last week, but Jeff Neusser's just, he's, he's like, you know, he was the guy who started the site so many years ago, and he's back here again, generously giving us his time before he starts molding young minds next week. And I assume there's <laughs> there's propaganda involved with Washington State football, especially teaching at a school uh, in the Seattle area, right, Jeffrey? Yeah, and I can honestly say it's probably a good idea you actually didn't have BA on this week because he would absolutely excoriate you for your lack of respect for the uh, for the superstition of of uh, what happened last year? <laughs> hey, man, I'm just not. I'm just not a superstitious guy, except when it comes to my own stuff, and that's probably so. And, and neither am I. Care. Neither yeah. am I. But yeah. Brian Anderson. No, well, I know, but BA is the bestest. <laughs> so uh, I want to talk about one thing before we get to uh, football here, Jeff, and that was uh, WSU adding Utah State to the schedule for 2020 and 2021 uh, on Tuesday, and I, I guess it seems to me I know there's a lot of complaining and hand-wringing going on about WSU not adding these marquee opponents to the non-conference schedule. I guess my contention would be you do get a lot of marquee opponents in the Pac-12 like your Stanford's, your Oregon's, your USC's, your UCLA's. And besides that fact, it has just gotten ridiculously expensive to play teams on a one-off. So by traveling to Logan, you help offset some of the cost of having them travel to you and it just seems to me that for economically it makes a lot more sense for WSU to do it this way yeah I mean it's you know this personally you know I think this is a good deal I mean I'd certainly rather play a home and home with Utah State than Central Michigan Um, and that's not anything against Central Michigan or for Utah State or anything like that just simply proximity Um, you know being able to play a school that's reasonably close and uh, you know, isn't, isn't real, you know, a, a big power in the West or anything like that because we play all the big powers in the West in conference. Um, you know, those non-West schools just make a lot of sense. You know, they really do just make a lot of sense as that, that, that sort of B-level, um, you know, opponent that, that Mike Leach seems to like to schedule before conference play. And, and I get that some fans want to see us play marquee schools, you know, out of region or whatever. Um, I would submit that I would much rather – you know, get three non-conference wins if possible um, and try and get into the best bowl game possible. And then you really will see those marquee matchups uh, between, you know, WSU and say, I don't know, Miami, yeah. right? Which is a school that you'd love to see. Now, I know some people would love to see those schools come to Pullman, but those schools have to want to come to Pullman. And so far they haven't. <laughs> you know, Wisconsin has signed up for us, uh, you know, whatever, on a two-for-one thing. You know, we had to go two-for-one just to get Wisconsin to show up in Pullman, and um, by the way, they still have not showed up in Pullman, and they might not show up in Pullman because mm-hmm. there are buyouts on these contracts and everything else. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I get the fans. I know Pullman is, is tough, and 
you know, people sometimes really need a good reason to get there. I mean, I think there's a reason why Oregon was the first game to sell out this year. I mean, that's a, you know, it's a big matchup. People want to see him. It's sexy, you know, and I understand Eastern's not sexy. Idaho's not sexy. I mean, I get that. But at the same time, you know, those schools have to be willing, and they're not willing. And so then you go, okay, well, who is willing? And, you know, there's these other schools, and, well, if you want them on a one-off, then you've got to pay for it because the leverage is really thin. Everybody wants to play them. You know, all these schools that need to fill out their schedules, particularly SEC schools that have to fill four non-conference games versus just three, you know, you got to make it worth it. Well, saying, well, you know, so we don't care if we're losing, but so-and-so is paying us a million bucks. Where are you going to pay us for a one-off? And, you know, with a 38, 35,000-seat stadium, you know, Wazoo's just not in the position to pay out that kind of money. They're mm-hmm. better off doing a home-and-home, and, you know, it's fine. So you schedule a home-and-home home with a team you're likely to beat, and it's fine. I mean, it just means I get to go to Laramie uh, in 2018, which I am looking forward to uh, going to Okay. Because I figured I'll probably never have any other reason to go to Wyoming anyway, so I might as well cross that one off the list and just go see the Cougs play and at, like, what is that, like 7,200 feet above sea level or something like that, something ridiculous? That'd probably be a lot of fun. Yeah, it would be fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm already, my liver's already preparing itself. Um, let's talk a little bit uh, about this season, Jeff. We don't need to talk about so many seasons in the future. I mean, we don't even know what's going to be up with WSU football by then, but this year... Uh, we talked with JB earlier about it a little bit, and you know, from the national perspective, it seemed like, and I, I think even from our perspective, if you had told us after that Portland State game last year that WSU would not only go to a bowl, they would go to a bowl against Miami and they would win that game, we probably would have committed you to a mental institution, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Given the things that I wrote that I know people have like bookmarked and thrown in my face repeatedly, um, yes, yes, I think we all, um, except for again, maybe like Brian Anderson, who thought that team was going to be awesome. The rest of us were uh, pretty surprised that, that the team was able to win eight of its final 11 games. And that's, I think that's the thing that's sort of mind boggling. You look and you go, and they won. Eight of the they went eight and three over their final eleven games, and they were a missed field goal away from nine and two. Yeah, you know over their final eleven games, which is uh, which is pretty insane. So, yeah, it's uh, you know it still is, in some ways feels a little unbelievable, um, but I'm definitely it's got me really excited about this season. I know this is another thing I've talked about uh, with a number of folks just on this show uh, before the season starts, but Luke Falk is probably, you know, this season has the chance to be just put all these prolific numbers uh, in the WSU record book. And if he comes back for a senior season uh, and stays injury free and continues to improve, I mean, the dude just has a chance to rewrite so many things. That's a product of the system a little bit, but compared to where he was at the beginning of last year to where he was when he got injured against Colorado, I don't know that we've seen that kind of progression out of a WSU quarterback in a very, very long time, uh, recent company included. Well, yeah, and I think the best thing is that, uh, you know, there's still lots of room to improve. I mean, he's not, he certainly was not a finished product last year. I think that, you know, the qualities that allowed him to be so successful were his, you know, good decision-making, making, making, you know, sound decisions, decisions that, um, you know, were safe, that were good decisions. Um, You know, the ability to just sort of have the fortitude to lead the team back late. Um, I think that, you know, I'm not one much for, for sort of pop psychology and, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, diagnose that sort of stuff from afar. But, you know, we talked about the Apple Cup, and this isn't a slam on Peyton Bender. That's, you know, I hope that's not how this comes across. But, you know, one thing about Luke Falk is when things start spiraling, he has this, you know, tremendous ability to keep it all together, to hold it all together, um, to sort of keep everyone rolling in the same direction, to keep them focused on the prize. Um, I mean, look, you know, we looked back to Portland State last year, I mean that was the most. <laughs> I mean that was the most miserable performance <laughs> I think any of us could possibly imagine in the most miserable weather. I think you're understating it. I think there, you might but, even be understating it a little bit. Yeah, I mean the whole thing was just miserable all around, and yet, you know, the team was driving for a potentially you know game tying touchdown until he got hurt. Um, 
you know, they just sort of were able to, to hold it together. And, and, you know, Rutgers, you know, they were behind and came back. And Oregon, they were behind and came back. And, and you know, some of that is Luke Falk's skill, but some of that is his, you know, and this is obviously a skill too, but the mental fortitude, the ability to um, – Jason Gesser talks about this a lot with Luke Falk. And if there's anybody who sort of would know something about that, it's Jason Gesser, right? That, that he, just, he just inspires this belief mm-hmm. in the team. And I think that the, the Apple Cup is a great example of – you know, you remove him from that game, things start spiraling in an extremely hostile environment against a really, really good defense, and you can't and you can't stop it. You know, Peyton Benner couldn't stop it, couldn't stop the bleeding, and it just got worse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if Falk is back there, I don't think that's happened. That happens. So that that's one innate skill that he has. But as a passer, you know, still so much room to grow. You know, continuing to be quicker, making his decisions. Um, figuring out when to get rid of the ball and when to hold on to the ball and when maybe isn't the best time to just hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it until your head gets slammed into the turf, right? Yeah. You know, those kinds of things um, he will improve on. I have no doubt he'll improve on. Um, I think that he can improve his arm strength. And I know people don't a lot of times talk about that, but, but quarterbacks are able to improve their arm strength. And his idol, obviously, is Tom Brady. He talks about that all the time. Tom Brady is a guy who most people say, you know, has been able to improve his arm strength even while he's been in the NFL. So, um, you know, these are all things that, that he actually has room for development as a quarterback, and I think that's what makes it so exciting is he's already so effective and, and has these, these mental skills, these leadership skills, and now as his passing skills continue to grow, um, you know, he can get to a point where he – we're not just talking about him as a really special, you know, air raid quarterback or something like that. I mean, we're talking about him as a really special – quarterback mm-hmm. I don't think he's had uh you know maybe no WSU quarterback and you know going back in many many years because there has been quite a dearth of talent uh on this team for a long time but I don't think maybe you know maybe 2005-2006 with Alex Brink was the last time a quarterback had as many receiving weapons uh as Luke Falk does this year between Gabe Marks between Tavares Martin between River Craycraft, between Robert Lewis, Keith Harrington moving back to H, even though he didn't crack the two deep, and he's got a stable of running backs. Has WSU been this good at the skill positions since the last time they went to the Holiday Bowl a number of years ago, or did they just not take advantage of it You know, in those early Doba years before the recruiting kind of fell off the edge of a cliff? Yeah, I mean, it goes back a long way, right? I mean, it, this is easily the best collection of of skill talent they've had in um, in at least a decade. Um, so yeah, it's it, it it makes you think like this this offense could be primed for a really huge breakout. I know uh, one of the sort of points of contention about the offense for people who you know maybe don't believe as strongly in the potential of this team is that well you know the Mike Beach offense is great, but you know that that offense wasn't really very explosive last year, and that is true. That um, you know they weren't a very explosive offense and. I, I, you know, I don't know how much of that is the offense and how much of that is just, you know, Luke Falk uh, sort of being con- content, not even the right word, but just, you know, sort of taking what the defense gives you and literally, you know, nickel and diming them all the way down the field with just sort of relentless efficiency. Um, so it'll be interesting to see this year if that translates into some more explosive plays. You know, Bill Connolly, who, you know, writes for SB Nation, will tell you that. You know that the, the true quality of a team, uh, of an offense or a defense is, you know, how many, you know, how well you are producing or limiting explosives. Um, you know, I'm curious to see this year if those weapons translate into more explosives or if it just translates into an even more ruthless sort of, um, you know, efficiency where they're just like converting third and fourth downs with regularity because they can, you know, because mm-hmm. they cannot get five yards whenever they want it. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see if, if they truly do um, get down the field more, turn you know turn more of their short passes into big plays, um, or if it becomes more of a five yards, six yards, seven yards at a time again and again and again with all these guys who can get open for five to ten yards anytime they want. I'm, I am a little worried about one thing uh, on this football team this year, Jeff, and we talked to JB a little bit about it as well, but you lose – a lot of your strength up front for the defense. And I think that's what really helped your secondary improve so much last year. You do have a ton of talent in the secondary, probably the most, the deepest unit 
on the defense, but are you at all worried about how thin they are up front? Because it's Robert Barber, Daniel Equale, Hercules Mata'afa, and boy, after that, if one person gets hurt, you seem really, really thin at that point at those positions. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about am I concerned about the depth, I mean, sure. You know, I mean, but that's, I mean, that's true of most positions, you know, where, you know, you lose a guy who's going to come in. And, and I know, like, you know, if we're talking about running back, that's a different situation. Or wide receiver, maybe that's a little different situation. But, you know, I think at most positions, you can point to a guy, if you lose them, things are going to drop off. I mean, would you want to lose Peyton Ballure right now? You know, no. I sure wouldn't, right? <laughs> you know, now you might say the drop-off from him to the second string might not be as great as, say, the drop-off from, you know, Barber to whoever's backing him up at this point. But, you know, the point is, like, you know, when you're Washington State, you don't have a five-star waiting to take over. You know, mm-hmm. you just don't. And if you're going to be as successful as you can be, you're going to need a little bit of luck. You know, you're going to need a little bit of, um, you know, things to go your way if, if you're going to realize your, you, you know, realize your potential. So, um, I, I mean, so I, I mean, on that level, yeah, I mean, it concerns me. You know, I, I go, okay, yeah, that's concerning. But at the same time, I go, well, you know, I mean, that's, that's just the deal. Um, in terms of performance, you know, I mean, we've replaced guys before. I mean, when we lost Xavier Cooper, we went, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We just lost the third-round draft pick. Well, you know, Daryl Paulo and, and Destiny Vio did a pretty good job last year. So, mm-hmm. well, now we've lost those two guys. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Um, I really think that the interior is going to be okay. Um, I'm most concerned about the pass rush, and I know that, you know, Hercules Mata'afa is a guy where I'm like, oh, well, he'll be great. And probably, right? But we don't yeah. know that for sure, and then every down roll. And then on the other side, you know, who, who is it on the other side? You know, who's, who's that guy at the, at the buck, you know, or at, sorry, at the rush position, that's a couple of years old now, but the rush position, right, who, who's going to get after the quarterback out there without Palacio and McLennan. So um, I'm a little more concerned about is there a credible, even if Mata Alpha is, is, turns out to be what we think, there still needs to be something credible on the other side. Otherwise, you know, teams can devote resources to taking him out. Um, you know, and I think last year he benefited from that to some degree with Paulo and Bayou, both of whom were excellent at penetration and creating um, pressure. So he was kind of, I don't know if it was an afterthought, but they couldn't devote extra resources to him. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can find a credible pass rusher on the other side um, to make that a little easier. So up front, that's more my concern than the ability to stuff the run. I think, you know, we've shown... Coach Joe has shown that he can kind of replace those guys year after year, and I think we'll be okay on that front. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, you know, I, I, I don't buy into a lot of times, uh, you know, the platitudes that, you know, a lot of fans think of that, you know, coaches have to take, you know, and players have to take these things seriously and they have to think a certain way to win. But I wonder if, you know, Mike Leach said today in his press conference, teleconference that, you know, he's not going to talk to his team about Portland State. And that's probably fine. You don't want to talk to him about it. But there's at least needs to be that mentality from these players that were there last year remembering that, like, look, you can't take someone not seriously, especially a team in eastern Washington with a weapon like Cooper Cup and a team that is known for beating FBS teams and is presently ranked in the FCS uh, do you at least think there needs to be some sort of element of reminding them that, you know, hey, this went very poorly for us last year when we didn't take somebody seriously? Yeah, I mean, you know, I know Mike Leach's thing is to just, you know, look forward to the opponent that you're playing that week and whatever, and, and I totally get that. Um, and on the same token, if his thought process was also, um, I don't need to remind them, they remember um, I'd understand that too. I mean, that's if I was him, I'd probably take that tag. I don't need to remind you how bleeped up that was last year and mm-hmm. how bleeping embarrassing that was last year. Like, uh, um, one thing about this this group of players is, uh, you know, as they as they started, to, we've talked about this before, but taking on Mike Leach's personality, you know, um, you know, they're prideful. They're prideful. Mike Leach is prideful. They're prideful. They take a lot of pride in what they do and how they do things and. Um, my guess is there were, there were some people whose pride was severely hurt by what happened last year, and I wouldn't be surprised if they felt like uh, taking it out on Eastern was 
with something they thought. Now, is Eastern good enough that they are not going to be able to take it out on them necessarily? I don't know. Um, I do know that Eastern's offense is, is legit, um, and I also think I know that Eastern's defense is pretty damn horrible. So, you know, I mean, it could be a situation where it's, you know, 50 to 30 or something like that. But, um, you know, I, I, I just don't think that, you know, sometimes you just don't have to remind people. Yeah. You know, and I, and I guess I would say this, if I, you know, if if you felt like you had to remind these group, hey, remember you lost to Portland State, I would really question whether these guys are kind of who we thought they were because, yeah. um, you know, I, I think when I think about these guys, I think about them as a group that's probably – pissed off and ready to go beat somebody because of what happened last year. I'll close with I'll, I'll close with this, Jeff. You know, we go to a bowl game last year, pretty good bowl game, a Sun Bowl, if it hadn't been the day after Christmas, and it's not this year. It's actually on my birthday, so if anybody's interested and we end up going to the Sun Bowl again, uh, happy birthday to me would be a flight down there. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I've said this before, and I think it's – when you take everything into consideration about what WSU is as a university, an athletic department, a football program, that a bowl game every year is a fine expectation and that a Rose Bowl every once in a while is also a fine expectation. I'm not expecting, you know, the Holiday Bowl or whatever every year. I'm fine, you know, with every once in a while, okay, fine, you miss a bowl or you go to the New Mexico Bowl again It's bowl games roughly two out of every three years and throw me a bone on a Rose Bowl, I I don't know, once every 15 or 20 years. You think that's probably an acceptable expectation for this school given where they are and what the college football landscape looks like at least right now? Yeah, I mean, that's what I would want. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, you know, a bowl game every, you know, four out of five years and, you know, maybe once every, you know, seven, eight years, something like that, you know, you're you're a division contender, you're a Rose Bowl contender, you know, that sort of thing. Well, maybe it should be a little more frequently. I mean, I, I don't know, but you know what I mean? It's, uh, you know, I don't think that um, because of what I said earlier, you know, where you really do need a little bit of good luck. We really do need, you know, things to stay together. I mean, when we think back to those Rose Bowl teams, um, you know, the one in 97, I mean, that, that was a team that was remarkably healthy all year long. It's incredible, like how healthy they were until, of course, the Rose Bowl happened to Michael Black gets hurt, which, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, and then in, you know, in, in, in 2002, it's like, um, you know, same kind of deal in that, I, you know, I, I don't specifically recall how healthy they were, but I also remember that they did get a little bit of luck when they um, got USC at the right time. You mm-hmm. know, you got you, they had USC at home. They beat USC at home on a last second field goal, right? They end up getting the tiebreaker, and that's how they end up, you know, co-champs and actually being the ones to go to the Rose Bowl. So, you know, you need a little bit of luck. You need, and, 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 and you know, the other thing is the championship game. Now you've added, you know, another hurdle there as well. So it's, you know, it's a really tough thing to make it to a Rose Bowl. I think we all understand that. And so, you know, expecting that too often, I don't think is a great idea. But you know, expecting us to pop up occasionally, you know, every, you know, whatever five, six, seven years, whatever your time frame is, and then bowl games almost all the other years when, you know, of course, the bar is fairly low for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense, and um, you know, that's personally what I would expect. And you know, I think, you know, my level has always been be interesting. <laughs> So, like, like whatever you do, just don't don't be terrible, don't be uninteresting, don't mm-hmm. don't make me dread watching you for three hours. And <laughs> um, they seem to have gotten to a point where uh, where that has happened, where you know it's like you know you start looking forward to watching the games. It doesn't feel like a slog. Um, you know, you you feel like yeah, I really want to watch these guys because I want to see what happens, even if they don't necessarily win. I mean, I went to the Stanford game last year. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was super bummed that they lost, but I wasn't, like, crushed, you know? I was just like, man, look at that. We just went toe-to-toe with Stanford. We were a missed field goal away, and I know a lot of people are like, oh, my God, we were a missed field goal away. And I'm like, that's fine, but, you know, as someone who has, you know, devoted way too many hours of his life to writing about this program over the last eight years, and the vast majority of that being writing about bad teams that are painful <laughs> to watch, that are painful <laughs> to write about. Yep. You know, to the point where I felt like I was wasting my life, you know, doing it. Um, you know, just merely being where they're at now, to me, is, is really great. And it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I look forward to games. Now I'm ready for the season to start. Um, just please, God, don't crush me this weekend. That's all I'm asking. 
Jeff Neusser, whose life is no longer a waste, writing about WSU football. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thanks, Dunderhead of the Week time, and again, our thanks to Mr. Jeff Neusser and J.B. Long for joining us here on this week's show, but we get to the less serious portion of it. Uh, Tim Tebow. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually not angry at him for the baseball tryout thing. I'm not, you know, whatever. The dude, you know, had a tryout, bunch of scouts there, probably nobody going to sign him. Whatever. He's a, he, I, I, I will acknowledge, as I, I, I found the press's coverage of him more infuriating than the actual person over the years. I don't mind Tim Tebow. I guess as a person, I think if I had to really evolve my opinion on it, it's more like the Skip Bayless obsessing over him as a quarterback uh, type of thing when he's just not really that good of a quarterback, but he is a good athlete. Uh, my issue comes with Major League Baseball and how they covered his apparent trout for scouts today. I was reading on Twitter, somebody said today from MLB's official account, they tweeted about Tim Tebow on Tuesday 12 times, 12 times. Mike Trout has been tweeted about roughly 11 this year. I just... Priorities, guys. If you're trying to push your sport and push the fact that Mike Trout is arguably the best center fielder to play the game since Ken Griffey Jr. wore a uniform, probably need to be talking about him a little bit more. And I don't know if that stat is completely correct or not, but I, I, I just anecdotally, I don't remember a lot of talking about Mike Trout this year. And I know the Angels aren't good, but Mike Trout is still freakishly good at what he does. Maybe talk about the guy a little bit more. And I, I your viewership numbers are way down, guys. So you kind of maybe need to talk about the really good people in your sport a little bit more. And I know it sounds like I'm on the top. <laughs> Let's get out of this and go to Ask Michael Anything. This has been a disaster. Just, just like Tim Tebow's tryout. Ask Michael Anything. And I asked and you delivered mostly sandwich-based questions, which are our favorite to deal with here on the Gook Center. Sandwich and food-based, they really are the best. At Jacob Thorpe SR, Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review. Compare every reporter who covers WSU to a sandwich. Show your work. Jacob Thorpe is a tuna sandwich. Very tasty, but if you leave him out in the sun too long, he smells. I have, I have no idea. I'm going to call Vince Grippy. Vince Grippy's like, uh, if, if you made a sandwich with bread harvested from... I, whatever that thing Matt Damon grew on Mars was and tomatoes grown with water blessed by the Vatican and turkey that had only been fed gluten-free grain its whole life. that That's what kind of sandwich Vince Grippy is. I think we can all agree on that one. That darn a trip, the sports director for Creme 2, why in the world doesn't Cougar Country stay open late on nights when WSU has an evening kick? I'm hungry at 11.50. They need to do like delivery. Does W does Pullman have like I don't know what's that thing in like the big cities they got in like Seattle and Portland where uh, it's like Uber well they do have Uber Eats but they uh, there was that business that just delivered food for you beforehand that that seemed like a real niche business that you couldn't make a lot of money on but apparently it did work I didn't really understand that very well our own B seventeen Anderson Brian Anderson one sandwich you don't know how to make and really wish you knew how to make. There was this, and you know, I think this is this is not graduation goggles, but goggles because I don't have the sandwich anymore. I know it was made with crappy ingredients because it was a school cafeteria sandwich. 
But they used to make this sandwich, and I, I, it kind of ties into what I'm talking about, of a really good, like, Italian grinder with that really good, you know, vinegar dressing on it. That That's what I want. That's what I really, really want. I want that, like, you know, vinegar-based dressing that I can really put on a really good uh, Italian-style grinder sandwich. And I, we they used to make that for us in junior high, and again, I know it was... I know the ingredients are probably crappy, but man, it was so good to me. That's that's what I really wanted. That's so I want to be able to make that really badly. At Brian Arcob, I get really fat. At Brian Arcob, Brian Cobb, popular eat out sandwich. You think you can make better at home, or know how to make it, or how you make it better? I I I make a club sandwich really well. I make really bomb club sandwiches. You use some of that thick cut bacon. Fry that up. Just pitch out for extra for tomatoes in the vine. Always get turkey from the deli counter, kids. Never buy the, you know, like the package stuff. Like, you know, it's, it's not bad, but the deli counter stuff, it's roughly the same price. And I think it's I think it's just as good, if not better, than the prepackaged stuff. And then, but pitch out for really good bread. Not like that normal white bread, you know, like the square cut sourdough. I use this like Seattle waterfront sourdough. Really, really delicious stuff. And stack that up. At S Olin eight twenty, Sarah Olin, if you could compare this year's football team to any sandwich, what would it be and why? I think I would go with uh, again. You know what? An Italian grinder. You know why? Really delicious, but uh, I don't. I'm really nervous because I'm so scared that it could fall apart at any moment. Even though it may not. Even though it may not happen, I'm, I'm still scared it could happen. At iku Jordan, our first non-sandwich based question, but I'm still fine with that. Your favorite WSU game you've had the opportunity to experience in person and favorite away game in person. My favorite one in person is still uh, the 2008 Apple Cup, and that goes back to what I talked about at the beginning, where I just haven't had a lot of experience with Cougar football. Away uh, would probably have to be... We went to I went to a game at Cal once. That was a lot of fun. Berkeley's a fun town. Memorial Stadium was pretty cool even before the remodel. Uh, other than the lights going out on the entire western half of the stadium, it was pretty fun. Uh, pretty fun game to go to. Um, yeah, I, w- I would probably go. I would probably go with that. That that was easily my favorite. Uh, we'll find our last ones here at K Dudley. Here's one. What play should the Cougs call in their first snap? Four verts. And at Zane underscore RM Zane mustard or vinegar based barbecue sauce. I'm going to Eastern North Carolina this weekend to visit family, so we won't be there in Pullman for the game. And we will be eating vinegar-based barbecue. And I have seen the light. I have seen the light since our first trip out there. Vinegar-based barbecue sauce. Just vinegar-based barbecue. The best. Washington State 48, Eastern Washington 34. WSU pulls away a little bit in the second half. But Eastern making it interesting. I still think they're a pretty good team, guys. Uh, even though that defense may be a little lackluster, but I think their offense pretty, pretty good, uh, even with a sophomore stated as a starter. Next week, more stuff. We'll talk about Boise State, hopefully. And uh, you know what? Now, I know we're going to be talking about a win next week on the Kook Center Hour. <laughs>